Good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming up here. Thanks for coming up here. All right. So uh, in church, you probably noticed something in the last few weeks, which is very big and in the corner. Do you guys see what's up there? What is that? A cross, yeah. Who does the cross remind us of? Jude? Jesus. Yeah, excellent. Reminds us of Jesus and all that he's done for us, right? That he died on the cross for us to pay for our sins so that we get to be in heaven with him for all eternity. And it reminds us that he loves us and that Jesus rose from the grave too. Now in church, can you find any other crosses? Can you point, can you point to them? Just point to them. Well, we got the big one back there. Yeah, any other ones? Yeah, up there. In the picture? Yeah, there's a cross over there in the picture. Um, yeah, over there, the big one. If you look at the lights, do you see the cross and the lights way up there? Over on the wall over there, you see a cross. And right here, you have a cross, right here. I brought this one down. Um, yeah, because the cross reminds us of our Savior. Oh, oh yeah, and right on the, the pyramids, on the purple pyramids, you got three crosses kind of all overlapping. Now, I had to borrow this from my friend, from Pastor Smith. This is the, uh, the dump truck of repentance. Now, repentance is something, it's a big word, but it basically means that when we start going away from Jesus, he calls us back. He tells us to stop, turn around. Can you say that with me? Stop, turn around, so that we always go back to him. So now, who do you see in the dump truck? Do you know who that is? Who's that, Jude? Yeah, it's me. So it's a picture of me. So you could put your picture in here too, because this could be like you. And when sometimes things in life, whether it's anger or maybe temptation comes, and we start not looking at Jesus, we start getting away, what is Jesus, and what should we say? What do we say? Can we say it together? We say, stop, turn around, and you go back to Jesus. Jesus uses lots of different things in life to tell us to stop and turn around, but especially his word. And maybe the congregation can help with this too. So, okay, so what happens if I'm getting away from Jesus? What should we all say? Stop, turn around, and come back to Jesus. Or maybe I'm going this way with some other temptation or sin. And what should we say? Stop, turn around. There we go. And Jesus does that because he loves us. Not always easy to get stopped and turn around and go back, but we're glad Jesus does that for us, so we're always close to him. So let's fold our hands. And let's thank Jesus for working repentance in our hearts. All right, dear Jesus, thank you for turning us around so often throughout our lives to come back to you and for keeping us always close to you and your love and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. Our theme for this morning is repent or you too will perish. And these come from the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 13. Now there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? 
Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is God's word. You may be seated. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, your brothers and sisters in Christ. There are a lot of recent events in the world and also events in our own lives where it'd be really nice to sit down with Jesus face to face and ask him, why? You know, why did, why did, are you allowing that to happen to them? Or why did you send this into my life? You know, is it something I did? You know, are you angry at me? Is it for some sin I've committed you know, that you're sending this into my life? Or is there a message you want me to learn from this? And if so, what is that message? You know, is there a lesson in this? You know, why and what does it mean? We want to interpret, you know, what God sends into our lives. Jesus had been teaching a large crowd many things about these last days, about the difficulty of living in these last days, the end times, the things that were going to happen to him, as well as told them to interpret the times rightly. And so some of the people gathered there took the opportunity to, they had Jesus face to face, why not ask him? You know, what's the interpretation of these things that we've seen? And they bring up this incident with, with Pontius Pilate. Now, there was some president at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. A disturbing, horrible event, and we don't have a ton of other details, and our minds might go, well, I wish we had a few more details, but then on the other hand, we go, I really don't want any more details. It sounds bad enough. Right? That this was, this was offensive. This was Galileans who had come to worship. Was this at the temple? Sounds like it was. Maybe in the temple courts with their offerings. And, and then while they were offering their sacrifices, Pilate, probably his men, came in and slaughtered them, killed them. And this was just an offensive, awful thing that kind of scarred the minds of these people. And why did this happen? You know, and so Jesus answers them. He, he doesn't address maybe exactly what they want, but he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And then Jesus takes it a step further. He talks about an accidental death where it seems like 18 people were in the wrong place at the wrong time, sadly. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? And to both of these things, he answers the same. He says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus calls on that crowd, no doubt a mix of believers, people who followed him closely, and unbelievers, and people who weren't quite sure about him. And he says to all of them, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Which makes us ask today, do we need to repent? This is the message that Jesus had been preaching throughout his ministry, the message that John the Baptist preached before that. Repent. Do we need to repent? And Jesus tells us today, repent. Jesus knows you. Jesus loves you. Jesus produces or brings forth fruit in you. Repent. We need to repent. Jesus points out Galileans, he points out people from Jerusalem, people from all these different groups, 
Um, he doesn't. He doesn't answer the question in a way that would like scratch the itch of what they were getting at. Was this, you know, some, you know, exposing some secret sin that made them especially worthy of the swift death, whether by Pilate or by accidental death? No. He says to interpret this really is to simply look at it and say, yes, death comes. And sometimes a lot more quickly than, than we expect, but death comes because we're all sinners. And he wants us to be prepared spiritually for when that day comes so that we are not lost eternally, that we do not perish eternally. And so he says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Because Jesus knows us. Jesus knows you. He knows you're a sinner. He knows that you fall into sin. And he knows your heart. How, you know, from little on, you don't even have to teach it. Um, it's, that, it's that grab. It's that scratch. It's that cry out. It's that hit. You know, that parents have to teach their young ones, okay, you can't do that. This is why. Here, do something else. You get, then you get a little bit older, and it's all about testing boundaries. And not just testing boundaries, boundaries, but realizing what the boundary is, blowing past it to see if it really is that big of a boundary, and then seeing what you can get away with or seeing what you can escape with, maybe even having the awful thought, well, God didn't strike me down with lightning, so it must be not that bad. And then we continue in an action or continue in a course of life that is not God-pleasing. Or we get into adulthood and we start to, start to think, you know, life, love, all these things come so quickly that we really don't need to focus on God's law or his will for these things in our lives. And so we keep them at arm's length and we kind of do what we need to do as feels right for us and we go down some awful roads. Or the older we get then, just the better we get at masking our sin, justifying it in our own minds, giving ourselves a pass um, as, as sin seeks to take over our lives or seeks to be present in our lives, even if it's the same sin that just reoccurs, reoccurs, reoccurs. You know, Jesus knows our hearts and he knows the issue there. And he says, repent. There's no small sin. Every sin wants to take us away from our Lord, wants to take us away from our Savior, wants to take us away from the knowledge of his will, his love for us, and salvation. And Jesus knows you. Jesus loves you. As an expert physician, or maybe we'll learn as an expert gardener, he just takes the scalpel of his law, of his word, and he cuts right where he needs to cut in our heart, sometimes without Novocaine, sometimes without painkillers, and exposes the infection, the grossness that lurks within our heart. He exposes the, you know, that, that, the, the pride, the greed, the lust as it oozes out. This is our heart. We can't hide it. We can't excuse it. It's sin. And it's damnable. And it seeks to take us away from our, from our God and seeks to separate us from all eternity, or for all eternity, from him. So in love, he cuts with his law. And you think about it. You know, what is the sin that the devil's using to try and lure you away from your Savior? Trying to make you excuse, run after, live in, thinking this is okay for me. But meanwhile, it's slowly eating away at your faith and turning you away from God, his love for you, his will for you, the blessing that he has for you. Is it pride? Is it lust? Is it greed? Is it idolatry of some sort? And, and finally, then it's like pride and despair both drive us to a more self-centered, selfish view of our lives, of everything, and they, they push Jesus further and further out of it. And where God has called us in his law to love God perfectly and love our neighbor as ourselves, 
we hold God at arm's length and we miss opportunities to love our neighbor, or we just simply don't. God exposes in love the sin that wants to separate us from him. And you can't hide it, can't excuse it. And it's not pleasant when Jesus does this. When, listen to the parable he tells. That he tells in his word to, to these people, to, to us. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? You know what happens when there is no fruit? What happens when, you know, Jesus is pushed out of our lives? When we don't know him, when we don't follow him? You know, and then God in his patience waits and waits and waits. Sometimes God works. There are two parts to repentance. First part is First part is sorrow over sin. That we see our sin, the tragedy that it is, and our sinfulness, and we hate it, we turn away from it, we don't want it, and we even have fear over God's just judgment of it. And the other part of repentance is to look to Jesus and his salvation, his cross, and what he has done for us, and to trust him that was enough, that it was enough. Two parts to repentance. This first part is no fun, but this is how God works it in us. Sometimes he uses such blessings in our lives to, to shock us loose from, our, from sin's hold on us. And, and you know, he, he pours out so much blessing. I mean, sometimes we can misinterpret that to think that, oh, God's blessing me, so then, therefore, everything is fine in my life and I can go down this path of sin. But think about it. You know, the story is told of the, the COVID patient who is on the respirator, um, and his life is spared, you know, obviously by God, but, you know, that respirator made him breathe and forced oxygen into his lungs, and, and he survives, and, you know, weeks, months later, he gets the bill for that short time on the respirator, and it's quite a big bill, and he begins to weep, and the people around him think, oh, don't worry, we'll find a way to help you pay for this, and he says, no, it's not that, I'll pay it. But it just dawned on him that just for that short time, you know, it took all this to, to get him to breathe. And for his whole lifetime, he's been breathing God's free air with the ability that God gives him to do it, and he hasn't said so much as a thank you to God for it. Sometimes it's such good things. Sometimes it's difficult things in our lives that tell us to stop, turn around, and turn back to Christ. Um, we don't like those things, where it feels like God's digging into our heart with a spade, turning over the dirt of our heart, digging into it, clearing out the weeds, the things that we had grown accustomed to, in our hearts, and kind of even like, but ripping them out because it's not something that's good for us, not something that's good for our eternity, and seeks to choke us out and choke the faith out of our hearts. And God does this, why? Because he loves us. He doesn't want us to be that fruitless tree that's only worthy of being cut down and thrown into the fire and lost eternally. I mean, think of the parable. God owns the vineyard. God owns you and me. The plants, the, the, the vines, the, the soil, the, the things expended on the soil, the, the water, the, the worker. You know, he, he, he has everything and he sends everything into our lives. And then if we reject him, if we reject such a great salvation, we deserve to be cut down. We deserve to be cut down anyways, but 
but especially if we, we hold him at arm's length. And so God works repentance. Sorrow over sin, but also looking to our Savior. Cutting, exposing, digging. I mean, think of this. The, he's, he's ready to cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is none other than Jesus, who intercedes for us, who loves us enough to keep working on us, to say, stop, turn around, and, and use whatever it takes in our lives to do that. Whether it's a certain word of God or a certain friend giving us that, that word of God or, or just simply meditating on his word and realizing my life is, is not God-pleasing or this part of my life is not God-pleasing. God, forgive me. Two parts of repentance. Sorrow over sin, fear, turning away from it, and looking to your Savior. What does that cross mean? Jesus if you want to compare yourself to him, is the perfect plant, always producing fruit, always bountiful. Us, we pale in comparison, sometimes even fruitless trees. But what did Jesus do on that cross? You know, Scripture says, you know, the, the axe is at the foot of the tree. Produce fruits in keeping with repentance. Jesus had himself hacked down and thrown into the fire of God's judgment because we deserved it. So the axe was removed from us, and he was hacked down. And on the cross, he suffered hell and punishment for us. On the cross, what did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then was able to say with full authority, it is finished. The penalty that needed to be paid has been paid in full. So that God says to us, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And Jesus' words are true. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And that's you. You're his sheep. He loves you. He's forgiven you. And think of all the effort he goes through to keep you close to him. The dump truck of repentance that, that, that stop, turn around, come back to me. Repentance. Repent. Jesus knows you. Jesus loves you. Jesus produces fruit in you. Our salvation is certain. It's done. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for all of our sins. He said, it is finished. He came out of the grave with power and authority. It's done. You can have full confidence that you are forgiven. You are loved. You belong to the Lord. You have heaven as your home. And this life, this life is more and more Jesus bringing us closer to himself. The Holy Spirit works through his word and his sacraments to bring you to him and to continually train you, to grow you, so you love him even more. And you learn to love more and more your neighbor as yourself. And he produces these fruits in you. When Jesus says repent, and we think, do we need to repent? Every day we need to repent. Repentance is an everyday thing for us. Because how often aren't we in this battle of temptation, of sin, of guilt, of shame, that we continually need to turn away from it? And turn back to our Savior to have the joy and peace of his forgiveness and be encouraged, strengthened, inspired to live for him. Repent. Jesus knows you. He loves you. And by his grace, produces this fruit in you. In Jesus' name, amen. For our stewardship thought, um,
Usually during this time we gather our thank offerings, but we have baskets at the doors and, and people have been sending them in online. We're thankful for all the gifts that God's people give to him and his work. Uh, we use this time to encourage our stewardship or our management of all the gifts God has given to us. The time he gives to each and every one of us, the talents and abilities, the treasure that he pours out into our lives, also uh, the temple, our bodies that God has given to us and our use of them, and also his truth, his word. And I guess maybe the key to understanding this is understanding who we are to be blessed to be such stewards. And so we go to 1 John chapter 3 where John writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. This weekend we had our plug-in party for our new members who are joining us either by transfer or Bible information class. So we all got to wear name tags, very fancy name tags, if I don't mind. And so you can, you know, who you are. And so for each of us, you know, we could put child of God, loved, forgiven. That's who we are. And that's what he's made us. In Jesus' name, amen.